Again, welcome the stewards who are with us today and who shared during the Sunday school hour. And again, so thankful to have you guys and so wonderful to hear about the work that you do. And um, yeah, just your guys' perspective. If you would like to turn in your Bibles to John chapter 12, we'll be there today. And uh, talking about the triumphal entry. And speaking of which, uh, we have our own triumphal entry coming in October. Uh, Carrie's pregnant. And thank you. Uh, she's around 12 weeks. The other day, a relative asked me how the first trimester has gone, and I said, I've been doing great, honestly. I feel like my skin has never looked better. Some of you might have noticed I've had a little bit of a, of a glow. Um, cravings, mainly I've wanted pizza and donuts, so pretty much like normal. But we're, we're very excited and, uh, yeah, very, very happy to... Um, to be expecting and definitely appreciate your prayers just for everything to continue to go well uh, with the pregnancy and um, for Carrie and she's been doing great so far and um, but yeah definitely very uh, very thankful so thank you guys so much but John chapter 12 and that's really why we're uh, here today and um, to, to worship our great Savior and uh, John chapter 12 verses 9 through 19 When the large crowd of the Jews learned that Jesus was there, they came not only on account of him, but also to see Lazarus, whom he had raised from the dead. So the chief priests made plans to put Lazarus to death as well, because on account of him, many of the Jews were going away and believing in Jesus. The next day, the large crowd that had come to the feast heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem. So... They took branches of palm trees and went out to meet him, crying out, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the King of Israel. And Jesus found a donkey and sat on it, just as it is written, Fear not, daughter of Zion, behold, your king is coming, sitting on a donkey's colt. His disciples did not understand these things at first, but when Jesus was glorified, then they remembered that these things had been written about him and had been done to him. The crowd that had been with him when he called Lazarus out of the tomb and raised him from the dead continued to bear witness. The reason why the crowd went to meet him was that they heard he had done this sign. So the Pharisees said to one another, You see that you are gaining nothing. Look, the world has gone after him. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we do thank you so much for this day and an opportunity to worship you. Lord, we continue to pray for our hearts and minds that we be prepared as Easter approaches, Lord, and that that day and every day we can remember that the tomb was empty and that we have a risen Savior. Lord, and may that be the basis of our faith and of our lives. Lord, we thank you so much for the Stewart family who's with us today. And again, Lord, just so thankful for the ministry that they've had in China and the work that they've done to reach people with the gospel. Lord, and we pray for those people. We pray for the partners and the friendships that they've built and established in China during their ministry. Lord, and we, we pray for those people in that country. Um, Lord, and we pray for your church, regardless of 
governments, regardless of different restrictions, Lord, we pray for your church to flourish in that country and for the gospel to continue to be spread, Lord, and for people to continue to know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. Lord, we want to pray for people in our church who have needs. We pray for Lizzie and the different procedures and appointments that she's had in recent weeks. And Lord, just want to pray for uh, good news and good reports with all of those things, Lord, and just recovery for her. Lord, we, um, we want to pray for Larry's brother, Jim, and the surgery that he had this week. And Lord, we're thankful to hear that so far things are looking good with that. And just continue to pray for his recovery and gaining strength. Lord, we also pray for Larry's nephew, Ben, Lord, and the challenges that he's facing right now, Lord, and over all of those things, Lord, we pray that you would overcome that, Lord, and fill his heart and mind with your grace. Lord, we want to continue to pray for June as he's in the hospital in Champaign, and just pray for his recovery. Pray for every day to be getting a little bit better and a little bit stronger. Lord, we also pray for Ruby in this time. Lord, as it's always difficult for them to be apart from each other. Lord, we pray for this baby that Carrie is carrying, Lord, and we are so thankful for him or her, Lord, and just, um, Lord, we, we rejoice at life, and uh, that that is a, a good gift that you have given to us, Lord, that we are created in your image. Lord, we pray for our time in your word today. Lord, we pray that the text can point us to you and ultimately point us to the gospel and that we can be encouraged by the truth of our great Savior. In Jesus' name, amen. So it's Palm Sunday today, the Sunday before Easter. And we'll be looking at an event in the ministry of Jesus that is traditionally referred to as the triumphal entry. It's when Jesus enters into the city of Jerusalem. It's an event which is recorded in all four of the Gospels. And one of the things that I want to focus on this morning as we walk through this text is some of the history of what's happening at the time. We've talked about this before, but as we approach Easter, I think it's helpful to remember that these events and to remember them in their historical context and in the light of the expectations people had for the Messiah in the first century. For instance, in Jesus' day, within these oppressed Jewish communities, many expected the Messiah to be a conquering king, a military leader, just like David, someone who would liberate the people and redeem them from Roman tyranny. Well, we hear that, I don't know if we always truly appreciate that fact as we study these stories, because the political tensions of the time color the events of this passage. And so I think it's a helpful place to begin is with the death and resurrection of Lazarus in chapter 11, the passage we looked at two weeks ago. There's significant fallout after Jesus did that miracle. John chapter 11, verses, beginning in verse 47, says, So the chief priests and the Pharisees gathered the council. It's referring to the Sanhedrin, the Jewish ruling council. Basically the Jewish government. And they met to express concerns over Jesus. 
Unfortunately, this group did not recognize Jesus for who he was, the Son of God. Continuing in that passage. What are we to do? For this man performs many signs. If we let him go on like this, everyone will believe in him. And the Romans will come and take away both our place and our nation. So when they say, if we let him go on like this, everyone will believe in him. It's undoubtedly very ironic because they fail to recognize Jesus for who he is. From their perspective, the Sanhedrin is actually concerned about Jesus growing too much in popularity. In verse 48, they say, everyone will believe in him and the Romans will come and take away both our place and our nation. That's telling because their concern is for the political ramifications. They'll lose their place, referring to the temple and the land, and potentially lose their nation, Israel itself. They might lose their power. They might lose their own prestige. This is at a time in history when the relations between the Jews and the Romans were not particularly good. About 70 years before the events of this passage, the Romans had annexed Jewish territories into the Roman Empire. There were taxes. The Roman government meddled in Jewish politics. There were differences of opinion on faith. The Jewish people were monotheistic. The Romans believed in many gods, different cultures. And so there were little skirmishes and military fighting, which had happened in the early years of this Roman occupation. And those tensions were only intensifying. And with what Jesus was doing, he was growing in popularity. And so the Jewish leaders see that as a threat to their own power. And as the passage continues to develop... They see only one option for dealing with this situation. John 11, verse 53. From that day on, they made plans to put him to death. And that's the fallout of Jesus raising Lazarus from the dead. That miracle is the catalyst which sets the wheels in motion from the local authorities to conspire against Jesus for the purpose of putting him to death. And really... That's the gospel. To bring Lazarus to life, that leads to Jesus' death. Jesus gives life ultimately at the expense of his own life. He died so that everyone who believes in him can have life. John 11 says that after that event, Jesus temporarily kept a low profile. Verse 54. Jesus, therefore, no longer walked openly among the Jews, but went from there to the region near the wilderness to a town called Ephraim, and there he stayed with the disciples. As chapter 11 winds down, that sets the scene for Passover. Now, Passover was one of the most important days in the Jewish calendar. An annual festival to celebrate God's deliverance of the Israelites from slavery in Egypt. 
It was a holiday where Jewish people from all over the region of Judea would have traveled into Jerusalem. Passover was significant for several reasons. Part of the significance is that it was a remembrance of the time when God redeemed his people from oppression and tyranny. On the first Passover, the Jewish people were enslaved by the Egyptians. Pharaoh would not release them. After a series of plagues that were wreaking havoc on the life of the Egyptians, Pharaoh still would not relent. And so a final plague happened. The firstborn of all the non-Israelites was struck dead. As an act of faith, each of the Israelites was to sacrifice a lamb and to take some of the blood of the lamb and essentially put it on the doorpost of their home. Those who did this were passed over and their families were spared. Undoubtedly, there were many overtones of the Passover holiday in the crucifixion of Jesus. Many of you, I'm sure, are familiar with these points. But the sacrifice of the lamb points to Jesus, the ultimate Passover lamb. The blood that people put on the doorposts of their homes at the first Passover points to the blood of Christ, which was shed for sin, just to name a couple. And it is certainly significant that Passover was the time of year when Jesus was crucified. A festival celebrating a mighty and miraculous work of God on behalf of his people ultimately points to the true Passover. God with us, rescuing his people, saving us from our sins so that we could be passed over from condemnation and death. While Passover celebrated the Israelites being redeemed from Egypt, in this section, there's the question of if Jesus is the new Moses, the new leader who's going to redeem Israel from Rome. And so the political scene is at a fever pitch. In the century after Jesus' death, The Jews and Romans actually fought three separate civil wars. Thousands died. Huge numbers of casualties for that time period. And in the end, the temple was destroyed and plundered. More taxes were levied on the Jews for practicing Judaism. And groups like the Sadducees, who made up most of the Sanhedrin, their fear came to pass because they did lose their power and influence. And with all of that background, we come to our passage this morning. In Jesus' day, at the time of Passover, as I mentioned a moment ago, you have Jewish people from all over Israel heading into Jerusalem for the observance of that feast. And from there, we'll go into John chapter 12, verse 9. When the large crowd of the Jews learned that Jesus was there, they came. Not only on account of him, but also to see Lazarus, whom he had raised from the dead. So the chief priests made plans to put Lazarus to death as well. Because on account of him, many of the Jews were going away and believing in Jesus. It's interesting, and we talked about this a little bit last week, but it's interesting that John adds the conspiracy against Lazarus. 
He was a living, breathing testimony to the work of Christ. And so they needed to stop him too. Verse 11 refers to the event of raising Lazarus, where it says, On account of him, many of the Jews were going away and believing in Jesus. And many were in Jerusalem. Others who hadn't seen the event, who hadn't witnessed the resurrection of Lazarus, they had heard the stories. They had heard about Jesus' teachings. Verse 12. The next day, the large crowd that had come to the, to the feast heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem. So the crowd has heard that Jesus himself is coming to Jerusalem for the Passover. At least, that's what they think. But there's another reason why Jesus has come to Jerusalem. It's so he can die. The crowd doesn't know it. But Jesus goes to Jerusalem, ultimately, to give up his life. But again, on Palm Sunday, they don't know any of that. And excitement is in the air. The communities were very poor for the most part back then. Life was extremely difficult. But this gave them some hope. We're so used to freedom that we have in this country. But throughout history, and in much of the world today, that's been the exception, not the rule. Tyranny and oppression reign in so much of the world. And for the Israelites, they were in a land that they felt had been promised to them. And so that's the setting for the triumphal entry. With all of that background, all of the fighting, all of the disdain for the Romans, the expectations for the Messiah. And in the midst of all of that, we have Jesus coming into Jerusalem. Verse 13. So they took branches of palm trees and went out to meet him, crying out, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the King of Israel. So they took palm branches. That's why we call it Palm Sunday. We talked for a moment about the historical roots of Passover. The Old Testament gives various instructions about how to celebrate Passover. Palm branches are not part of the Passover in the Old Testament. There is some tradition about how they were incorporated at different times. But historically and biblically, palm branches are not part of Passover. So why did they wave palm branches when Jesus comes into Jerusalem? Once again, I think the reason for that is why a little bit of historical context for this passage matters. Because it has everything to do with what we've been saying. It's the political climate of the time. The palm branch had become sort of a national symbol for the Israelites in the first century. Before this Palm Sunday, the last time that the Israelites had had freedom in Jerusalem, they had fought a war in the middle of the first century before Christ. After the war, when the leader of the Jewish people came into Jerusalem, the people waved palm branches. So you have palm branches which are associated with a military leader coming into Jerusalem. And the people say, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the king of Israel. This verse is very hopeful. 
but their hope is misguided. Their hope is revolving around their misconceptions of Jesus and what he should be like. And so he rides through the crowd. What would you expect this great liberator, this great leader to ride through the crowd on? A great horse, a steed. But Jesus doesn't do that. Rather, he rides through on a donkey. And Jesus found a young donkey and sat on it, just as it is written, Fear not, daughter of Zion. Behold, your king is coming, sitting on a donkey's colt. John quotes from Zechariah 9 for this. Jesus is coming in fulfillment of prophecy. To quote from that passage, Zechariah 9, 9. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you, righteous and having salvation is he, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. And that's interesting because the following verse in Zechariah paints a very different picture than what the crowds were hoping for in envisioning. Zechariah 9.10 I will cut off the chariot from Ephraim and the war horse from Jerusalem and the battle bow shall be cut off and he shall speak peace to the nations. His rule shall be from sea to sea and from the river to the ends of the earth. So it says that this king would actually take away the chariots and horses from the Jewish people, but would bring peace. But all of that seems lost on the crowd. They had other Old Testament texts, sometimes misinterpreted, because they thought it was going to be a military revolutionary who was going to lead them. And here we have Jesus riding in on a donkey. Matthew, Mark, and Luke all say that people were, were laying down their cloaks in the pathway as Jesus was entering the city, rolling out the red carpet for Jesus. Hosanna. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the King of Israel. It seems that they would have said Hosanna more than once, almost like a chant as Jesus rides a donkey through the crowds. Hosanna, Hosanna, Hosanna. Hosanna is the Aramaic word for save us or save us now. It would have been a familiar cry at this time of year. Psalm 118 verse 25 says, save us, we pray, O Lord. O Lord, we pray, give us success. Think of the different Christmas songs that we have that we sing every year. There were certain psalms that were sung every year at the time of Passover. Not surprisingly, some of those psalms dealt with liberation from oppressors. Hosanna, Hosanna, Hosanna. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the King of Israel. It's interesting that the crowd speaks of the kingship of Jesus. John focuses on three groups of people in the crowd that day. Beginning in verse 16, we see the disciples. His disciples did not understand these things at first. But when Jesus was glorified, then they remembered that these things had been written about him and had been done to him. 
The disciples don't truly understand the significance at the time of what Jesus is doing. It wasn't until after Jesus had died, raised, and been glorified that they were able to see the significance of these events. The second group, verse 17. The crowd that had been with him when he called Lazarus out of the tomb and raised him from the dead continued to bear witness. The reason why the crowd went to meet him was that they had heard he had done this sign. The second group were those who had seen Jesus raise Lazarus from the dead and those who had heard about it. And the passage concludes by talking about the Pharisees. Verse 19. So the Pharisees said to one another, You see that you are gaining nothing. Look, the world has gone after him. They're not enjoying the festivities. And so we have the disciples who don't truly absorb the magnitude or significance of who Jesus is. The crowds who think of Jesus as a liberator. And the ruling authorities who are set out to destroy Jesus. People had a view of Jesus that was too small for the glorious things that he was preparing to accomplish. It's interesting with the expectations that they had about Jesus. The things people thought Jesus was. He was, just not necessarily in the way they envisioned. For instance, they thought Jesus had come to liberate the oppressed. He did. But it was to liberate all who believe in him from the oppression of sin. They expected someone to be a revolutionary. He was. But instead of helping fight one government in one place at one time, he preached a message that has impacted kingdoms and continents from all over the world, people of every tribe and tongue and nation. They thought that he would give victory by the sword. But his victory was in a message of peace and love by telling us that life is found in losing it. And loving God. They wanted someone to give them back their land. He came to give an even greater land. A new heaven and a new earth. They wanted someone to be their king. He was their king. He is the king of kings. And he has a rule that will never end. He is the things that they expected. But not in the way they expected them. Jesus came to earth and lived a life without sin. He lived a life that made the unworthy worthy of forgiveness. He made the unjust justified before God. He took those who were stained in sin and washed it away. But it came at the cost of his own life. For the people chanting, Hosanna, 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 on the first Palm Sunday, they didn't understand That that day was something so much bigger than themselves, bigger than their time period, bigger than their land, bigger than what they wanted, bigger than some battle with Rome. But that was the God who had created the world, who had come into the world, who dwelt among his people, and here he is in the flesh, the Lord Jesus riding into Jerusalem. 
And he's coming for one reason. To die. To give up his life. For the disciples not having it all figured out at the time about who Jesus really was. Really, that's the way it is for everyone who has a relationship with Jesus. Isn't it? And we never quite have it all figured out. We continue to learn, and there's much to learn. A child can understand the basics of the message of the gospel, that you're a sinner, but God made a way for you through his son, Jesus, who came into the world, who paid the price for our sins, and that he died and rose so that you can have life. A young person can understand the basics of that. But in knowing just that, there's so much more that we still don't know. There's so much more that we still can learn about this man. And the longer you're a Christian, the more blessed you are in this world to have the opportunity to learn about Jesus and to grow with Jesus. We never graduate from that. Even though we are justified, made right with God, we continue to grow. Sometimes, things we used to think about Jesus, we look back at. Sometimes we realize that we were once wrong about something. And it's important to remember those times. So that when younger Christians get it a little bit wrong, to have a little bit of grace and humility. Yes, to point people to truth. But to know that we're also still learning. Truth should never be about pridefulness or arrogance. And there are still aspects of knowing the Lord where all of us are continuing to grow and to learn. And it can be increasingly difficult to figure out what's true with all that our culture and society says about Jesus. All the things that scholars say about Jesus. Undoubtedly this week on TV... Networks will be running specials about Jesus. Historians will be talking about Jesus, talking about the evidence and what it tells us about Jesus. Different theological traditions, what they believe about Jesus. And then on top of all of that, we have the arbitrary assumptions that people make on their own about Jesus. Just kind of decide what they believe Not always even with biblical support or evidence. Different Christian traditions have different things that they teach. It can be daunting at times. But just because it's daunting or challenging, it's still worth the effort to continue to know this man and to grow in the knowledge of him. It's interesting as I think about the great figures in American history. All of the biographies written about people like George Washington and Abraham Lincoln. Sometimes they paint such different pictures of these men. So many angles at which historians look at them. And those are just regular people. But Jesus is the Lord. And he taught a message that is simple. Matthew eleven twenty eight, 28, he says, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. 
But just because his message was simple doesn't mean that Jesus was. Just because we know things about him doesn't mean that there's nothing else to learn. The disciples literally walked with Jesus. And they didn't fully understand everything at the time. So it is when we walk with Jesus. When I was a younger man, I didn't understand who Jesus was. I thought he was just some guy. I didn't understand what all the fuss was about. If there was God, I didn't understand why a person needed Jesus. I didn't understand that Jesus is divine. There are inexhaustible depths in Christ. And we can continue to pan for gold as we ponder and meditate on and read about this man, Jesus. What it means that he died for our sins. What it means that he is God. And on and on. He died for us. But not just so we could go along and keep on doing the same old things we were doing. But so that we could have a new life in him. He died for us. And in that invites us to have a relationship with him. May that be something that we appreciate. That causes us to marvel at the goodness and glory of God. That causes us to examine the weight of our sin. And to appreciate the incredible grace of the Lord. Our world tells us so much about Jesus. I was having a conversation recently with somebody and he made an observation that's really stuck with me for the last few weeks. At different times throughout history and different cultures, there have been places that have tried to silence the church. That have been oppressive, that have tried to quiet the message of Jesus. In America, we don't have that problem. But what we do have, perhaps, is the opposite problem. Where there's so many different views that so often the truth gets drowned out. Because it can be really easy in our society to believe a lot of wrong things about Jesus. That's why we need to study what's true about Jesus. What the Bible says about Jesus and what Jesus says about himself. And in that we see the love and grace and goodness of Christ. That Jesus lived and died so that we could live. Like the crowd said on that first Palm Sunday. May we too say, Hosanna, save us. Knowing that he's the Lord who came into the world. And that if you believe in him. He is the Lord who takes away the penalty of your sins. What do you believe about Jesus? Would Jesus agree with what you think about him? Does what you think about Jesus agree with what he said and what he taught in the Bible? Do you know much about what he taught in the Bible and what the Bible says about him? May we be a people in a church who pursue Jesus for who he really is. Let us not have arbitrary opinions. 
but to live for the Lord who died for our sins. Have you trusted in Christ yourself? Hosanna, save us. That crowd on the first Palm Sunday, Hosanna, 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 save us, save us, save us. But many of the people who were chanting that on Sunday later chanted something else, crucify. That a hopeful crowd was replaced on Friday by an angry mob, crucify. Because Jesus wasn't what they expected. The experts of the Old Testament missed it. The crowds who simply wanted a military leader missed it. Many of us today have part of what Jesus was like. Many of us today have part of Jesus that we like about him. Maybe we accept that part of who Jesus is. I can be freely forgiven of my sins. Hosanna, save me now. But then we reject the idea of knowing Jesus or better acknowledging the sin which caused us to need a Savior. Crucify. Jesus talked about feeding the poor. Hosanna. I'll accept that, Jesus. But then we treat things Jesus said with how we interact with society as if that's all the gospel is. Jesus emphasized loving people. Hosanna. But then we want to discount what he said about how we should live. Crucify. Jesus talks about loving people and accepting them regardless of their sins. Hosanna. But then we also hear him say, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Crucify. Jesus said we could be with him. Hosanna. But then we reject his bride, the church. Today, as on the first Palm Sunday, we live in a world where people expect many different things related to Christ. The crowd shouted Hosanna because he thought they thought he was their Jesus. Hosanna on Sunday to crucify on Friday. Jesus came in perfect fulfillment of the Old Testament. He came in perfect righteousness and holiness. God on earth. But God on earth didn't bend to the whim of what every person thought he should be. It is not the people who judge Jesus. We don't pick and choose what to accept about Jesus. We don't just hear that he forgives and ignore everything else. We don't like a loving Jesus, but discount a moral Jesus. Jesus takes us as we are in our sin. And we must believe in him for who he is. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we are so thankful that we do have a Savior who freely offers grace, who justifies us from our sins. Lord, let us be people who come to Jesus and worship him in truth. Lord, let us not make our own 
assumptions and expectations and decide that Jesus has to conform to that. But let us go to him as who he is. Lord, I pray for this week for all of us again as we remember that Jesus died for our sins. Lord, and I pray for us for Easter as well. Both here at this church and in the community, Lord, I pray for people on Sunday to be joining together and to remember that the tomb was empty. In Jesus' name, amen.